0: Welcome to Syntalk. The Syntalkers around the table today discuss the meanings of information. We think about the different meanings of information using concepts and ideas from computer science, physics, thermodynamics, linguistics, philosophy and neuroscience. What exactly is information? Does information need a conscious recipient or interpreter? What, if one may ask, is the opposite of information? Is the universe and physical reality essentially informational? Is it possible to intentionally forget something? And what does that tell us about the nature of information? is a future likely where we can interpret any information and communicate with safe birds and animals. We are very pleased to have three talkers around the table today. Prof. Vaishnanarang, who works in the area of neurocognitive linguistics and applied linguistics. He is currently with GNU in New Delhi. Prof. Rajaram Nityananda. Who's a physicist with interest in optics, statistical problems, and astronomy, is currently with Azim Premji University in Bangalore. And Professor R. Ramanujam, who is a logician who studies mathematical models of computation and communication, is currently with IMSC in Chennai. Ajara, maybe we set the ball rolling with you um, to understand what information is, the way you see it as a physicist, and uh, especially when you, um, as an astronomer, as a physicist, what what exactly is information? Maybe we start at that relatively simpler place and we'll see where we go.
1: Okay. uh, Actually, uh, current physics literature, you will find a lot of mention of uh, information. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is something the physicists have really borrowed from the communication and electrical engineering field. There's this really great man, Claude Shannon, who in the middle of the 20th century came up with uh, what he called the mathematical theory of communication.
0: But is the notion just 50, 60 years old?
1: No, that's. I, I was just going to come to that. Mm. Uh, but uh, physicists had, maybe without fully realizing it, engaged with a related notion, mm-hmm. which they called entropy.
0: Mm-hmm. And... Uh,
1: And that is really 19th century. And uh, it's interesting, that again arose in an engineering context. (laughs) You know, uh, there's this uh, French engineer really called Sadi Karno who wrote a book, The Reflections on the Motive Power of Fire. And that was the time when steam engines were just being invented. No one really knew what would make them better, what are their limitations. And he really came up with uh, a sort of fundamental idea you could not make these things 100% efficient and there was a limit to their efficiency.
0: Why do you equate uh, entropy with information, Rajaram?
1: Right. I mean, as I said, this took a while <laughs> because entropy as <laughs> introduced by Carnot was something like a quantity of heat in calories divided by the absolute temperature in degrees. Right. Now, that doesn't look like information. Yeah. And it took almost 70 years for another great man, Boltzmann, to say that in some sense, this was related to the randomness or disorder in the system.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, uh, heat is a form of energy and a falling stone is a form of energy. Mm. And purely from the energy point of view, they're both the same. Mm. But the fact that everything in the stone is moving in the same direction in an orderly fashion
0: Mm. and that
1: the molecules in a hot cylinder of an internal combustion engine are moving all over the place Mm
0: -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. seems
1: to make a difference. There's another attribute of the system, Mm. which is not energy, which is uh, disorder. It's not something you can get rid of. Mm-hmm. things can get more disorderly but uh, you, they never uh, by and large ever uh, get ordered on their own you would have to make them ordered and in doing so you will disorder something else
0: and in doing so you need to expend energy
1: uh, not energy so much uh, well if you don't mind a homely parallel you know all our houses get into a mess after some time Yeah. and then you can clear up the mess but correspondingly it leaves a little mess inside you for mm-hmm. having carried out this kind of task And in a sense, this is the equivalent of your internal combustion engine putting out this exhaust. It has to put out this exhaust. Where it's in a sense, it's dumping all the disorder into the exhaust Mm. and putting all the order into the wheels. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. one way of looking at it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So what is entropy? Just so that you're sure we're getting it right.
1: No, uh, you're right. So as I said, it initially came about as heat divided by temperature. But the revolutionary insight was to connect it now, how do you quantify disorder? Disorder is when I don't really know uh, in what state the system is. Yeah. It could be, uh, you know, well, randomness itself is a deep concept and I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Yeah. But uh, the idea is that there are many possible states in which the system could be and you don't know which one it is. It's, it's ignorance in some sense. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's still amazing that uh, a measure of this ignorance is connected to something so tangible as heat or your ability to extract energy from a fuel. Mm. Uh, I think physicists have got used to it, but I, I still find it remarkable. That, mm.
0: Uh, mm. And so mm. this is
1: where entropy came in, right? As a measure of ignorance or disorder. And my understanding of the electrical engineering, but or the computer science is that they cleverly turned this around and said that when you receive a message, your ignorance decreases. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very interesting. Ramanujam, what's what's so clever about what Shannon did? Um, or what he thought?
2: Well, I think... Uh, Even in the uh, description that Rajaram is giving, right, it's easy to say that there is disorder and there is order, Mm -hmm. and therefore perhaps you're moving from lack of information to information. Mm -hmm. But to even think of this as something measurable, Mm -hmm. right? I think to me that is a departure. Mm -hmm. That uh, you're, uh, you know, you're thinking of it as an entity that can be observed, that can be measured, and uh, that can be manipulated in some sense. Right. Right? And, uh, you know, when you think like that, you're already into computation, right? I mean, and this goes back to classical philosophers, right? Mm -hmm. Classical philosophers uh, would talk about uh, something like information. I don't know if this is the word that is used, but it's, uh, you know, the uh, the classical analogy is that of wax. Wax.
0: Wax. Mm -hmm.
2: Wax on which you can imprint things, you can uh, write things, and it would, you know, you can uh, distort it. Mm-hmm. It changes shape. Mm-hmm. And it carries message. Right? I mean, uh, yeah. the oldest cryptographer that we know of uh, was somebody, a woman in Athens, who figured out that uh, some guy had sent a message because on wax, she found something there. Right. Right? So, right. that uh, this ideas of uh, leaving information in physical form.
0: What is information, Ramanujam?
2: In, okay. So... When I get... uh, And feel
0: free to tell us something difficult, it's fine. What is information? Well,
2: I think Rajaram said that, but okay, so I would change it slightly, you know, a little more. I think uh, information is uh, something that changes behavior, perhaps. So information, not maybe not intended behavior, you know, it may may be intentional, but uh, information that, Uh, is something that uh, is uh, probably not visible. For instance, uh, we talked about order and disorder, right? We look at some object, we look at what it is, but we also look at what uh, has uh, taken place to leave it there, right? All the processes that have gone into making that object, which you cannot see. And that's the information that you get from that object,
0: you right. need some kind of an imprint of time gone by. Um,
2: I think, it, you know, the object carries the imprint in, it, in itself. And, and that is the informational content that you're talking about. right? So information you can think of as, you know, as something which is there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it carries information of the past, all mm-hmm. that, all those processes that have uh, led there and uh, the changes that it can cause in the future. So, you know, mathematically, you would think of it as a, you know, a cone. A cone. You know, a cone of the past and a cone of the future. Right. Right. We talk about it like event event cone that you can talk about. Right. right? So,
0: the event is in the middle and the past and the future kind of branch out on both sides. uh, Hmm. Even that is a static description.
2: Yeah. But actually, there is, you know, you can think of the dynamics of that because, you know, that object is, by its very presence, is causing deformations everywhere. And so all that together, all the processes that led to it and the effects it's having, together as you can call maybe the information content. And so then it's, now it's, you know, it's going to get worse if you start thinking like that because it's, you know, this information content itself is an object which you can objectify, measure, study, you know, manipulate, et cetera, right? And so there is a kind of recursion that happens between these. And somehow I would say meaning of uh, information emerges from that
0: recursive process some interesting ideas please veshna
3: yeah uh-huh. if i may uh, interrupt here uh, if you say information is something that changes uh, behavior so uh, we are already talking about information from the uh, recipients uh, From the recipient's Um, perspective. Perspective. Yes. It's not the physical aspect of, you know, what exactly is being communicated or what exactly exists there. It is the recipient's uh, thing. So that brings us to what is happening in the recipient, the person who is receiving the information, what is happening in the mind of the recipient so that, that's uh, one point and this is where you know uh, all my thoughts on neurocognitive perspective of uh, information you know uh, comes to but before that before i go on to that Please. as uh, uh, rajaram said uh, you know the uh, entropy uh, i'm afraid um, i understand very little of it but still i want to respond to it by saying if it is disorder then don't you think uh, most of these studies on order, what is there as order, comes from a close study of disorder? If disorder is there, if we study that, probably it gives us clue to w- what is, uh, you know, the, the regular uh, kind of form. So t- in, tell language, us something, in language, we do that all the time. Mm. A lot of, you know, a lot of uh, uh, our un- current understanding on language comes from uh, what we identify as a deviation from the norm.
0: Yeah. We didn't
3: know the norm, but we learned about the deviation and then we talked about So tell about us
0: it. from the perspective of a newborn child or a toddler... In the beginning, it's all just a completely undifferentiated flux, as as you seem to be implying. Yeah. Now, what what, what
3: happens? We have a lot of work on acquisition studies, and uh, for me, this uh, period, the so-called critical period hypothesis, Mm -hmm. that the early developmental phases are really, really important Mm -hmm. for brain to learn how to learn. So, information processing is something that has to be partly there, as nature and partly acquired as nurture so what exactly
0: happens then you start filing away a set of patterns is it a process of pattern uh, recognition well
3: for a newborn child what we can uh, what we can assume here is the uh, newborn babies are getting information from all five senses yeah. Right. So there's yeah. auditory signal, and in fact, auditory signal starts coming to the babies even before they are born. Yes. From fifth month in gestation, they they are listening. Sure. And there is there are studies that they can make a distinction between the mother's voice and the other voices and, uh, and a few others, you know. Sure. Anyway. So auditory signal is there. After birth, the vision, I mean visual signal is there, and then they touch and taste and smell all these five senses. But apart from that, the human context, the emotional part, all of that helps integrate all the information and ultimately it is the integrated whole which builds a system which is useful for interpreting or doing the input analysis. I I like to call it input uh, processing rather than information processing. Why? Why is that? Because information processing would be once you have a system in place, Mm -hmm. Because initial phases, the neurobiological, neurophysiological and cognitive and linguistic development, all three happening together, simultaneously, simultaneously. each Mm -hmm. one reinforcing the other, each one is, uh, you know, complementing. But in what
0: sense do you distinguish information from input?
3: Well, uh, to my mind, I mean, probably that would be useful to understand what, you know, information is that even to build that system, Mm -hmm. little babies, while they are developing, the brain is developing, neural networks are developing. So all this information received from the sensory inputs with the help of the human environment is integrated into, you know, and that's what I like to call input processing. That's mm-hmm. part of the cognitive development and that is leading to neural networks being formed. So people working in the area of artificial intelligence and neural networks, they find this very interesting that you know how these synaptic junctions are formed in the early phases of life. Once sy- all of this is hardwired into the system. So
0: they are formed as we go along. They are formed, yes. Neural network,
3: this of course is attested, you know, by various uh, Mm -hmm. studies that neurologists have conducted. So once these networks are formed, after that there is a system which learns to process the information. So can subsequent I ask if, information could be information processing. I mean, I, I, I'm uh, sticking my neck out, saying input processing and information processing should be treated differently. Yeah, sorry, uh, Ramarajan. No, no. Uh, no
2: hmm. I I have a question on that because yeah. these networks that are being formed, hmm. that's also creation of some information, right? Yeah. So I would think that. Uh, yeah, that's the, interesting. You know, you know, in some sense, I see it as some data that's coming in right? Mm. And you're saying before it becomes information, all this data coming in is very important. But the fact that this is the input, input processing mm. that mm. I see that you're the sensory input in particular, mm. and probably emotional input and various other. Mm. But in some sense, uh, the meaning making, right, which is part of the informational mm. process, you know, or perhaps mm. what transforms data into information and uh, what you're saying mm. is also dependent on each other, right? I mean. In, that because the network formation is not something fixed and happening outside no. the, this uh, whole process.
3: It's happening. And that is contributing
2: to the information making. Yes. So I would say that these processes are then again, you know, mutually dependent on each other in some fashion, right? That uh, one is, you know, so I mean, I would not go for then a hierarchy of, you know, uh, like the philosophers again talk about data, information, knowledge, wisdom. Hmm. Right? But hmm. that sounds like a kind of a linear progression. Hmm. Right? From data, you get information. Hmm. From information, you information, get knowledge. knowledge. From inf- knowledge to wisdom. wisdom. It, it doesn't seem that clear to me because... Uh,
3: hmm. in in this context in the context of little babies and uh, there are other studies i mean right now i don't have the reference before me in one of the 2011 studies it says very clearly the way we process information after we have a linguistic mechanism in place and this linguistic mechanism has developed with that kind of you know cognitive processing of the early Early period. So the data processing that happens afterwards is quite different from the data processing that happens in the critical period. So I'm you know my argument is based on that. If the nature of processing is different, then probably what what is received in the initial phases and when we are just developing a system so that it may process the information received later. So let's keep the two things distinct from each other let's call the first one input processing or um, leading to knowledge and all the second later stage of course i mean as you said it changes behavior it uh, there is neural plasticity involved neural plasticity is there till the end of our lives because we do keep learning about new things but the nature of learning is very different after the critical period
0: and how long does that period last?
3: Well, um, it's, uh, it's not exact in terms of numbers. You know, certain things can happen up to the age of three. Some things can happen up to the age of five. Some things can happen up to the age of seven. You know, these are different kinds of processing which can happen. And, and for that also, it can vary plus minus, you know, a certain period and so on. But I have very few, I have some very interesting case studies For example, case of Chelsea, uh, a uh, 34-year-old woman who was uh, put in a, uh, you know, mentally, in a home for mentally retarded. Mm -hmm. For 34 years, she Mm -hmm. stayed there till she was discovered accidentally that she was hearing impaired. She was not mentally retarded. (laughs) So, she was hearing impaired. She did not get the linguistic signal. She did not get the other auditory signals. So, part of the information was missing. So that system did not develop at all. So at the age of 34, when she was fitted with the auditory operators and she was given all the language signals, so tell us she, could still not, she could still not process information the way the adult, normal adult... So if she was, was hearing
0: impaired, was it impacting what she saw
3: visually? Because in the initial stages, the cognitive development, linguistic development, neurobiological They're development... They're all intertwined. This is intertwined. So, mm. if one thing is out of order, the other things also sometimes go out of order. She was really not mentally challenged, but she was put together with that because after a while, you know, the cognitive functions were not really up to the mark or up to the whatever milestones were uh, expected.
0: Interesting, interesting. Uh, Rajaram, maybe we go to you and, you know, just we maybe take human beings out of the equation for a bit and just think of it at the level of nature. Um in what sense does nature communicate? Is is information just lying all around us? I mean, if 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 there were no human beings around, um, what yeah. would the nature of information be?
1: Yeah, that's a fair question. This uh, concept of entropy does uh, have some anthropomorphic uh, aspects. Mm-hmm. When we say something is ordered, uh, you know, it's because you know, uh, uh, weight raised to some height is more useful to me. You know, I can use it to pull some water up from a well. Yeah. But uh, one, one can at least conceive of a being which views with equanimity random mm-hmm. molecules moving around or, you know, a rocket moving in an ordered way. So physicists have struggled a little bit with this mm-hmm. and they have found a pragmatic solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is, they, for a given definition of order, you can then define entropy in terms of how things are shuffled. But uh, it's... Uh, But uh, there is a non-human component to this. Uh, We don't see the universe going in for a heat death. You know, in the early days, people said entropy is going to increase, all temperatures are going to equalize, you know, everything is going to get disordered. And nothing of that kind seems to be happening. You know, if anything, things seem to be getting more ordered. Mm -hmm. In a legalistic way, you can say, yes, uh, we are getting more ordered on earth uh, because we have resources like sunshine, but you know, the sun is increasing entropy by sending its energy all so over Rajanon, the place. So, Rajanam,
0: from the time the Big Bang happened. Yes. Say 14 and a half billion years or whatever that period is. Right. as Has the amount of information increased? Because net-net is the amount of order more. Now, whether it is in, in concentrated spaces. Uh,
1: uh, okay. In a legalistic sense, one would say that uh, things have become more disordered because physicists uh, hold the second law of thermodynamics very dear. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, we never look at the whole universe, right? Yeah. So, a lot of that disorder might be in the empty spaces between the stars, you know, and, you know, ultimately stars dying out and so on. So, that doesn't prevent uh, things like the emergence of life, the emergence of planets. So, the universe actually is going in a direction of more and more structure. And one of the reasons is that it's expanding. So, the different parts are uh, quite isolated from each other. Mm -hmm. So, the concept that they would come into equilibrium with each other simply doesn't hold water. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And... uh, On planets like ours, we do have this fantastic resource of uh, the energy of a star. So, I don't think we have to worry about, uh, you know, our own planet getting disordered. I mean, if it does, it's our fault.
2: (laughs) So, on on that, uh, even in the mathematical notion of uh, information, you know, Shannon entropy is one. But there is also Fisher's notion, right, of information. You know, we just take a random variable. And you want to see how it affects a certain parameter, and that carries information. And so, in that sense, um, you know there is information in nature, right? I mean, it's so you know you can have mathematical descriptions of nature, behavior, and say it carries information, right? So, I mean, disorder is one disorder, and entropy is one way of looking at information, but uh, that assumes an underlying notion of randomness. And you can sort of go back to the notion of randomness itself and ask, you know, what is randomness and try to, you know, come up with measures. And I would think that uh, probably the exploration has to go there because uh, there again, uh, there is this question, is it actually ontological or is it epistemological, right? I mean, do we only perceive randomness or or is there randomness, right? And in a a fashion, once again, that you can... uh, measure, observe, again, you know, I'm insisting on that because you... What, the, what
0: is your guess, ramanujam Do we perceive randomness or is there randomness? Oh,
2: I think there is. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. And I think, you know... And uh, added, all that to that,
3: added to that, what we perceive is conditioned by what we have already, you know, decided to perceive, no? What we have <coughs> already acquired in terms of, you know, whatever knowledge Me. systems and then we decide, no?
2: It could be because we have these epistemological categories because we are part of nature. Right? Yeah. So we carry all these things, all this information around in us in the way we have evolved, in the way we look at things and probably in the way we mathematize it and call it a random variable and do things mm-hmm. as well. right? So I don't know how to separate these uh, things in any deep fashion at all. At some point, the mathematical meaning seems to uh, take its own um, form as i said in which you can build things together conceptual entities together and of course it may very well be that we build these conceptual entities and therefore see them in nature that uh, nature doesn't have i don't know but i think this is probably the only sane way we can go about it right and there is one more related notion mm-hmm. which is slightly away and that is kolmogorov and kolmogorov's uh, notion of uh, Information and randomness Mm. and complexity, which is that it's about how short your descriptions are. Yeah. Right? I mean, if I I can describe a process, I mean, uh, something which is very regular can be very easily described. Yeah. And something that's completely random can be easily described. Again, and that notion of randomness is what...
0: Why do you say that? Something that is completely random can be... If
2: it is uniformly at random, it's very easy to describe. Mm. Complexity comes with things that are neither completely regular, Mm. nor completely random. Mm -hmm. And then you need very long descriptions to say what it is. Because it's, you know, to say Mm. that it's random, it's very easy to say it's random.
0: So is there a fundamental unit of information?
2: Well, in Kalmogorov complexity tries to precisely measure that. Mm -hmm. And so for instance, if you want to talk about a process, how much do you need to describe that process for somebody to do it? Mm-hmm. For a program, you know, the length of the program you can think of. But this notion of a program is very general. It can apply to biology or it can apply to, you know, a plant growth or any of these. So, in some sense, a measure of description... And are there
0: upper and lower bounds to how complex things yes. can be? Yes, and but that's something that it's not as,
2: uh, I would say, you know, as well understood as Shannon entropy. But it's a, you know, Kolmogorov complexity is also something through which we can try to grasp and try to figure out the meanings of these. But uh, the thing is, it's very interesting because it gives you a way of looking at processes in a very general fashion. Mm -hmm. And including, I would think, uh, the kind of processes that uh, Vaishnava was talking about a moment ago. Because, you know, again, in computing, you can talk about things like bootstrapping. Bootstrapping is one where, you know, where pretty much nothing exists. And then you
0: start with something very
2: small. Mm. let it grow and feed it into itself and then you know
0: it grows right the output of the process is the input again in a way it's somewhat yes
2: in uh, in the in communication that's very interesting because if you say that uh, i need to communicate with rajaram and i need a shared language for the communication yeah there is a problem if we don't share language to begin with yeah and in in you know computer science terminology will say that all the meaning comes from the protocol Right? We have a certain protocol according to which if I send them one bit it means something and two bits it means something. Sure. Like code or whatever. But mm. then that's a shared understanding that we begin with. What if we don't have anything? Well, the theory shows that you can bootstrap meaning. You can negotiate meaning. You can start in a way where we agree on nothing at all pretty much.
0: What do you start with?
2: You start with sending bits. That's it. And you pretty much start with as I said you know that's how all your BIOS and all works right? Something very small And then you have... And that actually brings in more. What is a bit? Brings in more.
0: Hmm? What is a bit?
2: Ah, Okay, so (laughs) this is where (laughs) we have to... So this is the unit that uh, we are talking about and it from bit, right? Yeah. And uh, trying to get there. Now, it could be that we agree on, let's say that, uh, you know, if I call him at 8 o'clock, let his phone ring once, it means something. And if I call at 8 o'clock and... um, let it ring twice before
3: I say anything. But this is a matter of convention. What you people decide. No, it's it's not starting. Yeah, he he, he used a, the word protocol.
2: Huh. That's why I said I used yeah, the word protocol. Yeah. protocol. Huh. That, but my point is that, does the protocol need to pre-exist? In the huh. case of the baby, for instance, yeah. right? It's not that I actually share a language with, share a grammar with the baby. Right? Mm. but i can empathize and looking at my face the baby you know can realize that i'm angry or happy or in fact mm. babies do right so i would say that's a case of bootstrapping mm. i mean uh, maybe the, in your language some nativist theories
3: the mentalistic theories inf- the, mentalistic is the innate hypothesis uh, says that there is a mm, there is a universal grammar which is uh, species specific and you are born with that the fact that you are able to let's say you receive all the inputs and you are able to categorize, classify, store them differently, put them in different memory stacks so that they are, you know, retrievable in a certain fashion. So that is the meta-language or meta-form that the human babies are born with. But in order to develop that into a system, you need all those inputs which contribute to the development of the system. It's only after that, what you have is information processing. I mean, this, this is what yeah, I, I would like to... I, I get to, the point.
2: But, huh. but even there, there are systems and systems, right? In yeah. the sense that uh, there is a very private language with me and my baby have, huh. which we of course lose.
3: Yeah. That's no problem, As, but huh. we do
2: have. Yeah, The point is that we do have these little languages with uh, small systems, hmm. but the point about bootstrapping that I'm talking about is that the bigger systems can be built from these small systems Mm. and meaning and, you know, information, content, all that can be negotiated. Mm. The negotiation is very interesting because, uh, you know, you can start with something very small that's existing, right? That's the point I was Mm. trying to make. And Mm. the Kolmogorov thing is that if we actually did get a message from the stars, right, how would we understand it, right? If, for instance, somehow we understand the message as something to construct an object, right? Maybe an alien communicating to us. It's a great thing if an alien communicates to us, but there's a problem is that how are we going to understand what the alien is saying?
0: Right? Let's ask Rajaram that.
2: Yes, uh, there's <laughs> been a lot of uh, speculation in the astronomy
1: community about extraterrestrial intelligence. People have uh, both listened, you know, for signals, not found anything so far, and then optimistically broadcast what signals.
0: Right. What do so, you look for? Because you have no clue what might be coming your way. Of course, I mean, there is...
1: Exactly. So, uh, the feeling was that some things might be universal. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm. So, uh, you know, the uh, metal plate we just put on the Voyager spacecraft, which hopefully someone might pick up.
0: <laughs> right. 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 Uh,
1: it had what people could imagine at that time as universal. Maybe the hydrogen atom or, you know... Uh, the distribution of primes. Yeah, or, or pi or <laughs> something like that.
0: So that that's one. What, what do you, Rajan? I'm changing tracks a little bit. Is the fundamental unit of information?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, in fact, I think Shannon coined the term bit as an abbreviation for binary digit. Uh-huh. So, at at some level, it's something which has what equal kind of- probability to go one way or another way. It could be heads or tails, or boys or girls, or you know any mm-hmm. any one of these dichotomies. And uh, to start with, if you don't know what it is, your ignorance is one bit, and when it collapses, so to speak, when you receive the message. it's
0: very interesting. Then mm.
1: uh, you have gained one bit of information. And we all pay good money for megabits per second, don't we? Mm. <laughs> mm. And, and at least, of course, Shannon was sort of interesting because having created this, he felt he had done a Frankenstein because <laughs> people started writing all kinds of papers on mm. information theory. And one indignant editor had to say that we will no longer publish papers connecting it with photosynthesis and religion and so on. So, he himself actually backed off from his own creation. He said, look, I made specific assumptions on a random process at one end, a physical channel, a decoding. And, you know, you people are jumping off the deep end. But that's Shannon. It
2: doesn't matter. Even in the original paper, Shannon is emphatic in the mathematical theory of communication where he says that uh, information should not be confused with meaning. Meaning. What does that mean? I know. So this is something that has uh, taken so a lot is of uh, debate. What is and what no, is Shannon was
3: comes from perception. Very
2: keen that it? this should be physical processes. By which he meant, uh, but we don't know what he meant. I mean, uh. <laughs> right? Okay. So, but uh, in some sense, he wanted it as an engineering principle, hmm. engineering principle for physical communication channels. This is the thing. it was Weaver who. Weaver Weaver in the Shannon Weaver theory who said this is a general theory of information and this is about all communication whether it's uh, you know machines at either end or human beings or Hmm. whatever and uh, and Weaver went about it in a sort of big way trying to claim that uh, you know if you want to ever measure information at all of any communication and say there is information content in communication you're going to measure it in in this yeah. entropy terms, Shannon entropy terms. And uh, that has, of course, been much criticized by people. But
0: uh, what do you, what do you have to say to that, um, Ramanujam, that it's essentially digital bit, a bit, uh, the essential two-faced nature of the most fundamental unit, it being able to take only two values, are there, other, are there other conceptions, are there other ways of thinking about the most fundamental unit of information?
2: Well, for a logician... That is the basic world. I mean, hmm. you, you know, I am, I am a logician. I have introduced myself as a logician. So, I should be true to or that. Or minus. true and false. True and
3: plus minus. Huh? But,
2: uh, of course, you could think of the real interval 0, 1 as a continuum between 0 and 1. Yes. Right? Hmm. And uh, you could do that. And this, you know, this uh, distinction between the discrete and the continuous, mm-hmm. right? Or, in this case, the digital and the analog, way of looking at signals and way of looking at communication is very important and very deep and there are transitions there to be negotiated. But what has turned out to be most useful, you know, and one has to be always very cautious in these matters. What has turned out to be most useful speaking in 2015 in this particular recording at this moment Mm. in time is the digital, is the discrete. Mm. And uh, it has turned out to, it has given us an enormously powerful tool To look at things. Right. But uh, we are not very sure of negotiating this transition between the discrete and the continuous. So pretty much all our understanding of in discrete terms and in continuous terms, we do this. And, you know, especially in the mathematical world, right? I mean, both are, I mean, we do differential equations. We do this thing, understand signals this way. And we do, you know, the digital route for building things. And especially in terms of signals and communications, that has turned out to be remarkably flexible. Yeah, right. and so we live with both. I'm not sure that we quite transcend the the things, right? And I think uh, the engineers following Shannon who came through this are well aware of this. Are well aware of this is clear. But uh, in terms of uh, you know mathematically understanding you know something which is a measure of information and attaching meaning through that, the bit stands as the norm. Mm-hmm. I would say
3: mm-hmm. as
2: is the norm, but. Uh, well can I say something Well, uh,
3: as far as uh, the neurocognitive processing is concerned we will again say okay whether it is vision or auditory signal or whatever it is ultimately converted into electrical signals you know plus minus zero one okay so that way there is a minimal unit and, and so on but how is it that uh, in the you know human babies they know how to classify the information and store it differently like the kind of system that i was talking about which is the original system i mean i i gave an example of aphasia studies sure. where uh, the original system the first language acquired with the uh, uh, um, uh, closed ended categories and open ended categories That one, because there is a lesion in that part of the brain, so that is lost. But lesion in another part of the brain where the later subsequent information is added and sort of stored and for retrieval as a different retrieval mechanism, Uh that is spared if there is a if there is a lesion in un- another part of the brain then that would be lost and the original you know first language will be uh, will stay so if the information is stored in the brain differently the localization hypothesis now there are lots of imaging studies showing how the first language and the second language processes they store information differently so that the, it is retrieved differently the signal is the same okay zero, 01 fine but how does the hum- human mind know?
0: What's, the guess? What's that, the guess? Why does that happen, Vaishnava?
3: Well, the, there's something which is uh, the, the, you know which we are genetically equipped with. You know, in a little child making the first sentence, two-word sentence, never makes the mistake of putting two nouns together to make a sentence. It always is a noun and a verb. Mama, dada. That is the origin of. Syntax, you know, when the baby has started to make a sentence. Because before that, the child has already acquired enough semantics to be able to classify the two kinds of words. Only then comes the two-word stage. But what is,
0: I mean, clearly you're saying the syntax is pre-wired. Is that what you're saying?
3: Uh, I'm I'm saying that uh, the ability to acquire language Mm-hmm. that is something which is genetically which is uh, you know species specific and it is a genetically acquired stuff but in order to m- make it active, in order to develop this into a system, you need all of that, you know, information coming in, which is processed in a certain fashion. And there is a lot of sifting and sorting and categorization. Some information to be stored like this, some information to be stored like that.
0: So Tell me something, Vaishna, if there's something that I want to forget,
3: hmm.
0: specifically something that I want to forget, what do I do?
3: Well at a at a later age, there's a lot of you know intention, attention and motivation, all of these factors which are really which cannot be you know objectively measured uh-huh. these factors come into play and the entire later communication system is you know built around that everything is contextualized in a certain context you know maybe if I don't understand a question, I just want to ignore it you know or if I you know so so all that, uh, intention, attention, motivation, all of these things come into play. But initially, you know, the, the cognitive for the cognitive development, the motivation is very high. The human environment is such. The little babies need to and they want to develop the entire system. And that system probably is different. I mean, this is one hypothesis. People have hinted at it, but nothing has been... Uh, you know, clearly worked out. So that is different. And once the system is in place, then the information processing begins. And after that, it is the perceived reality and epistemological reality. They are two different kinds of realities we are talking about. Can can I I mention one more uh, thing? You know, uh, uh, talking about perceived reality, I uh, read uh, an article uh, recently uh, that uh, sounds do not have colors but you give sounds sound recordings to people and say do you associate any colors most often the noise patterns on a spectrography, noise patterns not the formant regular kind of and formant some kind of they are interpreted yeah. as grays yeah. and blacks and uh, the smooth periodic sounds are you know more colorful and smooth and all how is that i mean we don't associate colors with sounds
0: uh, that's some kind of synesthesia almost right I mean you know f sharp would be a certain color, and so on. Tell me, does the universe speak in one language?
1: Well, physicists would like to think that it speaks in the language of some theory of everything which has not yet been successfully constructed. I mean more than a language, perhaps it's a, it's a model right mm. I mean, mm. it's a mathematical model, and uh, there's this huge program called string theory, which has attracted uh, the brightest minds and uh, produced. Uh, very few direct applications over 30 years. But uh, it also impinges on this issue of continuous and discrete, which uh, Ramanujam mentioned. I mean, classical physics was continuous, but quantum physics has an element of discreteness uh, built into it. In fact, there is a whole new area emerging (laughs) on quantum information, where there is something called the qubit, which is discrete, but has... A kind of continuity built into it. In a sense, a continuous transition between the 0 and the 1.
0: Continuous transition between... What yes, is a qubit? Yes. You
1: yes. you can be... You might have heard of Schrodinger's cat. Of right? course. Which of course. is half alive and half dead.
0: Sure. And sure.
1: Uh, the qubit can be neither 0 nor 1 or a little bit it of both. It is state, yeah.
0: Mm.
2: So, in fact, I was thinking that uh, when you were talking about, you know, what is the unit of information and uh, we're talking about the bit, the qubit is one natural candidate to think of. And uh, this is also another measure of information, which is distinct from Shannon entropy. Mm-hmm. The qubit actually is a unit of you know, measure of information that um, we should take seriously because, you know, it also has, as I mentioned, it has got the discrete and the continuous and it also has a notion of evolution, right? The notion of a process built into it. It's an object and a process simultaneously and wherever both coexist is something we have to take very That's seriously. That's very interesting.
0: Object and a process simultaneously. That coexist, right? Mm.
2: And uh, this is something that we need to take very seriously and as many, many different things even in our conversation keep coming to. By the way, there is something I want to say on this about even in Qubit memory. You just asked a question about forgetting, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very human thing in my opinion. I'm not sure that nature forgets. Yeah. I don't even know how
3: I won't what, even what is understand forgetting
2: for nature? nature. That's what I—that's I, what I want to mm. say. I wouldn't even know how to understand that. It's not an accident that the mathematics of information theory is, you know, has some sophistication has been developing. And quantum information theory is really beautiful. Mathematics of forgetting doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. I mean, even with all the sophistication of Shannon entropy, we don't have a good theory of forgetting. We have a theory of error. We have a theory of loss. Erasure is very hard. We don't, I you know you know, computer scientists are grappling with this problem. Can I erase information? Yeah. We don't have a good. So this is what I mean. It is in this sense that we don't have a notion of forgetting. And in fact,
0: if you can What does it mean theory, to erase information?
2: To exactly. This is what I said. If I were, you know, I was talking about earlier as a mathematical meaning of information, as you take whatever entity that you're talking about, all its past right? Potentially infinite past, yep. however much physicists may agree, disagree with it. Potentially infinite past and its infinite future and all its ramifications at the present together is the information. If I'm going to think of that, there is no concept of forgetting at all. Yes. There is no concept of erasure at all. All time past is eternally present as the poet would say, right? In yep. every moment, you know, like four, four quartets, he says that every moment contains the eternal future. Right, So, if this is the mathematical meaning that you can think of. So,
0: would you say that there is no such thing as, because forgetfulness kind of, you know, it, it presupposes a sense of agency. Not agency, but it supposes a subject. But
2: that I think you're getting into epistemological territory is what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, this confusion between the ontological and the epistemological in information that we comfortably carry around. Yeah. But <laughs> in the mathematical meaning, mostly it is the ontological part. And the epistemological part is brought in with communication, you know, agency, strategization of communication. Like, you know, when do I send a message? When do I this? When talking about nature, you can talk it and talk about it in nicely ontological terms and build information in biology, in physics, and or like informational depth, like in thermodynamic uh, content that he was talking about. Logical depth, like we talk about in computation, but. Forgetting is something else. It seems to be a um, far more, that's why I said, not just epistemological, but a very human mm.
1: thing.
3: Could,
2: could, and I, could I disagree on that a yes little bit? Please. Huh? Yes, please. Uh,
1: you know, uh, even when people who think about practical computers, this notion of erasure, you do find that, uh, uh, yes, you, in practical terms, you know, you put your hand on a computer and it's hot. Okay? And that's because of the irreversible processes which are taking place inside the. the so if you're. Uh, so, it's true still that whatever information was, so to speak, forgotten, is not really forgotten. It is stored now in random motions of the hot case of the computer. And then later on, those become random motions of uh, the air and then maybe radiation radiated away from earth. So, in a very practical sense, uh, it, it, nothing is ever erased. But, uh, you know, like uh, scattering your ashes all mm-hmm. over the Ganga, it's it's put in a form that it cannot be Practically reconstituted, so I guess that is the physics of forgetting. That is, uh, you just I, uh, mix anything the, into it is the can physics I of erasure, erasure.
2: erasure. Not I'm not sure forgetting, right?
0: I think the so question. I, erasure,
2: yes. I have. I have some problem. I mean, I ah, can go with. Okay. But forgetting is much harder. No, I sure, think the, sure.
0: the question yeah.
3: rather. is I that... Can I ask a, a <laughs> question like a layperson? I mean, physics treat me like a layperson. And do you have a mathematical model of time which has some kind of dynamic property of time built into it? If that is there, then perhaps to explain, you know, things getting erased or with... Changes with time perhaps would we'll be able to explain a few things. Obviously, it happens in time. Do you have any mathematical no, very, very Honestly, I, hmm. I
1: mentioned these ambitious people who are trying to construct a theory of everything. Hmm. And one of the things they hope to construct is a theory of space-time. Hmm. But till they succeed, and hmm. if they succeed, we are actually living with a rather classic concept of time.
3: Hmm. So It hasn't really is, changed. Which is but a kind of physical, time, r- yeah, <laughs> physical time. But mathematically, you can talk about
2: you know, time in terms of its properties, right? In terms mm. of its properties is, you know, connected compact durations mm. or, you know, you can talk in topological terms and, and then yeah, I it's read Stephen fine.
3: Hawking's, you know, space and time, three-dimensional, four-dimensional model, space and time. But to me, it appears, I mean, as a lay person, I'm, I'm not a physicist, so, uh, you know, I may sound absolutely ignorant on that. But uh, is there anything like a dynamicity built into any of these models? Models. That yes. would explain many things. No? I mean, of course, I mean time itself?
0: is a part of most of these equations. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I mean, time is very much there. Is nice.
3: Static models in. and dynamic models. I mean, these do are, we are take the models? properties of change or, oh, you know, course. movement of in yes. of of mathematical course. models? Yes. Of
0: course, of course, that's
2: You're what all time of thermodynamics dynamics. Yes, hmm. I think you can do that. Yes. I mean, understanding the physical world is much harder. Yeah. Understanding, you know, the conceptual worlds that we create is a lot easier, and yeah. very often trying that's to understand the conceptual worlds, we try to, you know, start making meaning in the real world, that's very whatever real thing. world means, then, yeah. right? Because uh, I, I think that's probably the only way to go about it that we know. Of. I think the mm. other way
0: to frame this question we were dealing with a while ago, Rajaram, is that if we, if you knew all about the physical state of the universe today, is it possible to reconstitute all of what happened? prior to that.
1: Uh, in fact, there's this famous, uh, uh, you could even say, arrogant statement by Laplace, right? Is that right? When he realized that Newton's laws, in principle, would allow you to do exactly what you said. But of course, the interesting thing is, uh, today, it's no longer Newton, right? It's it's quantum physics. And then there's sure. this element of uncertainty, uncertainty or built unpredictability into. built into it. So, in that, in that sense, that very deterministic uh, worldview has gone away, but in any case, I think one has to bear in mind that... Uh, uh, see, after all, how would you compute it? The computer is also a physical entity. Yeah. And, and a computer which is part of the universe is unlikely to be able to simulate the whole universe.
2: And I think... Yes. The complexity is inherent in all this. And I think we cannot speak outside complexity in, in any of That Absolutely. Uh, so, I would say even in the erasure problem that you are talking about, it's much. it goes much farther. I mean, you were... You know, only talking about it, you know, turning into ashes and (laughs) molecules and things. Even if it was much less, it would be way too complex for us to reconstruct. So, in this inability to reconstruct, yes, you know, things erase, things get get forgotten. But get forgotten is very still different from forgetting.
0: Forgetting. Mm. Mm. Right.
3: So, that's why I said, you know, that's a a murky territory. That's That's the
1: anthropomorphic
3: bit which… That's which should worry
1: all physicists right that their British. notions of order and memory uh, and so, so complexity
2: are. it could be simply that you cannot grasp it right you cannot grasp it as finite beings or finite machines or whatever yeah right and uh, it may be not even just finite but bounded right i mean there are only so many molecules there is only so many possible states that you can have and you just can't count beyond that right but we can make leaps Right? Mm-hmm. remember that we can make leaps mm-hmm. and Newton actually start you know worked with balls rolling down the plane and actually leap to you know talk Malibre about solar system and, so and yeah. you know, yeah. part 3 yeah. of his principle is just that so perhaps these bounds you know can still give us information in a larger sense in a deeper sense maybe you know maybe you should call it knowledge or I mean I don't know what the words that you might use to label but uh, It might very well be that even this, you know, in this discrete measures with bounds and understanding information through these, we can get enough of some patterns, something from which you can do inductive generalizations, Mm -hmm. from which you can start looking at processes that are potentially infinite, but described in compact ways. All the time being aware of complexity, I think this is what I would say.
0: That's interesting. That's very, why don't we spend the last uh, few minutes just wondering about the future of the notion of information. In the super long run, is all information liable to be lost? What's going to happen? What's the future of many, many millions of years out? I think
2: the other way. I, uh-huh. mean, I, I do not see uh, loss of information.
0: What's right? the opposite of information?
2: Well, I have seen <laughs> people talk about exformation. What does that mean? Information Ex- is all the context that makes information what it is. Mm-hmm. And I earlier mentioned about if you take an entity, you look at what it is, but you miss all those things that are not there which provide depth. All those processes that got into What's it.
0: What's not there gives information. Ex- Exformation you might say.
2: Exformation. Like our, the famous one of uh, in a Christian wedding when somebody asks, and will you marry her? And you say, I do. It's just two words, but It contains an enormous information of what is not said. This is what they say is exformation and opposite of information. I don't know. It could also be the opposite of information is deception.
0: Yeah, which is what? Misleading information? Yes, because Mm -hmm. uh,
2: that brings in the intentional aspect of information as it's a predisposition to inform. Mm -hmm. Well, here you can say it's predisposition to deceive. Well, I don't know about the future who knows? But sure. definitely, I would say that if I'm true to what I said earlier, that there is no forgetting that uh, information grows and grows. It's only complexity that's hard to manage. There will be information.
0: What There'll does more information lead to? What have the last, since Shannon, and you know, with, with all of what has happened in computer science with our oh, ability given the mobile.
2: It has given you the mobile today. It has sure. given you the internet. Sure. So, mm-hmm. it's given you Google and it's given you all that. Sure. So, I would say that… What next? Uh, we would become more at, adept at uh, building tools for handling
1: information. What
0: will a lot of information do to the world?
1: I mean, will we drown in it? Given our own limited capacity mm-hmm. as human beings? Because clearly,
0: I mean, you're talking about complexity. You, you've You've spoken about issues of emergentism, uh, something emerging out of the crazy amount of data that's just data information, whatever we may label it, what's going to happen? Uh, Well, we have always thought of our mind as
2: that which is our brain plus all our reading and plus all that, right? Sure. So why not include Google in it? Why not include all those things that are going to happen in the future in it? So I think we will find ways of handling this complexity in different ways. I do not believe that we are going to drown in it. Sure. I feel, in fact, optimistic. I think um, we will be able to communicate with the bees. I, I don't see any problem why with we should not be able to communicate with the bees... ...and uh, cows and dogs and uh, trees perhaps in mm-hmm. ways that we don't know of. That uh, And uh, of course, if the aliens want to talk to us, very good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know whether we will be able to talk to each other much better. That I am not very sure of. But in terms of understanding nature... Working with nature and uh, building tools uh, for uh, you know whatever information means to whoever is around at the time that I think is going to come continually change We'll keep rene- renegotiating what is information, what is knowledge and we'll keep doing that and we'll have uh, if anything I think humanity has shown in with all these computers and stuff is that we are prepared for very flexible modes of communication yeah. And so I think we'll be more and more flexible, in my yeah. opinion.
0: Vaishna, what's the future?
3: Well, I feel uh, as far as the uh, the physical part of uh, information is concerned, I we just heard, uh, Ramanujan. But we'll understand it much better if we are able to explore the depths of human mind, and how this information is being processed. Why is it being processed differently? And, uh, you know, what is the nature of information for human mind? If we understand that better, perhaps we'll be able to understand. How
0: well do you you understand it today?
3: Well, uh, right now, I mean, as I mentioned, one or two imaging studies, there are lots of them, but they are all eclectic studies. We don't have an organized kind of a program which tells you, okay, fine, for this, this is the activation zone and this this is. I mean, we are still in that in that process. So ultimately, sure. if we understand the human mind better, even imaging studies will give you more of neural information, you know, physiological information, not so much about the mind. So if we Match understand the, the cognition better, we will be able to understand information but and cognition
0: uh, Ramanujam would say is computation so. So
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what what to what use the opposite of information?
3: Uh, I don't know for practical purposes you know for analyzing language to understanding language and mind I uh, put it opposed to you know input and in processing and information processing the two processes. But uh, I wouldn't say, you know, as do you, do you, do you opposite think? of information, what would that be? I, I wouldn't be able That's to That's fine. Say.
0: And do you think we'll be able to communicate with the birds and the bees in the super I long
3: think run? Yes. But for that, we first need to understand what does human mind do to... How are we able to communicate with each other today? First, first we understand our minds. And then, you know, we understand the nature of information. And only then we'll be able to understand the larger world, the larger world of information.
0: Clearly, you do believe that it's a tractable problem. It's a thing that you can solve. Rajaram, what's the future?
1: Well... uh, What's the I, future I of the of,
0: notion of information? Yes,
1: I, I, I think of trying to give the last word to Shannon. There's signal and there is noise, right? And of course, what I regard as noise may be signal to someone else.
0: Yeah.
1: So, uh, so uh, while uh, information in some sense may keep increasing, uh, I think there is a genuine concern that the information that a given person wants or which is relevant to a given context may actually be drowned drowned out.
0: So Rajaram, if we were to pack you off to another star, an, an, another galaxy, another planet with another life form, yes, what do you need to be able to make sense of them?
1: Um, well, it really depends on uh, what there is common. It's, it's also related to this interesting question of how uh, universal are the mechanisms that gave rise to our life. Right. I mean, they're really universal, as some biologists would like us to believe then perhaps there would be enough commonality right. to do something. But if it is something that we have simply not imagined. On the other hand, it is limited by chemistry and so on. So I, I'm optimistic that one will be able to do something. In the, and uh, anyway, it'll be hard to prove me wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? uh-huh.
1: But I, I do also believe that there may be a complexity barrier in, forget uh, alien life forms and even communicating with uh, dolphins or whales or something. You know, to understand... What it looks like from their point of view, there could be a barrier of complexity that we are not able to surmount simply because of the proliferation of, you know, you know, Why do there's you the say notion that? of computability, right? right. Which right. Ramarajam is complexity very familiar and with. And yeah, yeah. Right.
0: Why do you say that? Why do you say there, there could be a complexity barrier? Uh,
1: basically, you know, although physicists keep saying that they will understand life and neurobiology and so on. I I do see that genuine progress is very, very slow. And one one reason is that we are still waiting for the killer idea. The other reason could be that uh, there is genuine difficulty that the methods that have served us well in the physical sciences and engineering sciences are simply running into something that is beyond them. I mean, that's a possibility (laughs) that I would not rule out.
0: Right.
3: (laughs) As a a linguist, I'm happy to quote uh, Balmer here. Balmer is one person who moved from... uh, Uh, nuclear physics to molecular biology and then came to linguistics and he said language is the most structured product of human cognition which lends itself to you know structured analysis so in order to understand the universe you know he talks about biological foundations of language it's a very good book in 1982 publication so I, I think ultimately we will have to understand how what is language, and how does human mind process it? And uh, perhaps some answers will, you know, come this, from that.
2: Wittgenstein once said famously, "If a lion were to talk, we would not understand yeah. it." Private argument, yeah. Private language argument, right? But uh, well, if a lion was, were to growl, I would run, <laughs> right? And that's good enough. Yeah. We'll begin to. Yeah. understand lion language
0: sure thank you really appreciate all of you making it we look forward to having you soon again thank you appreciate it
2: thank you thank you very much thank you wonderful session.